Welcome to episode 169 of the GTO on 5G. It's the latest science scoop on everything 5G. We cover six topics in about 20 minutes, and it's brought to you by more insights and strategy. I'm Will Townsend, joined again from Tokyo this week, and I'm also welcoming my fellow analyst, Alchil Sag. Let's get started with my first topic, and I want to talk about Kindrel and Nokia. And I think um, I've spoken about Kindrel in the past. They're a systems integrator, and they've been working working with Nokia on private networking deployments. Integration is pretty key. Obviously, in very large public uh, mobile networks, Nokia provides all of that, but it's a little bit different when you look at enterprises. But the partnership between the two companies has resulted in 18 very large installations, most notably Dell Chemical Company. But um, they, they announced this week that they're expanding that to Chevron Phillips Chemical. So it seems to me that they have a solution that's ideally suited for the petrochemical industry. And what's interesting about this, it's based in Houston, Texas. It's based in my home state. There's a lot of energy production in Texas. Um, my daughter works for Halliburton. She's in West Texas. But for Dow Chemical, prior to initially an LTE deployment, this will be, these will be eight LTE networks leveraging CBRS spectrum. But prior to that, they had relied on outdoor Wi-Fi. And, and uh, no surprise, the company basically stated that they were having challenges with Wi-Fi coverage and, and performance and Wi-Fi just requires a lot of densification. And you get to a point, and I get this question often, when, when should a company consider prime and cellular over Wi-Fi? It gets to the point where the cost of densifying uh, Wi-Fi APs um, exceeds the benefits that you get and it actually exceeds the, the cost of deploying a private cellular network. This should be really interesting. Uh, um, they basically state that they, they have over 3,000 various applications that they're running. And obviously, this is an operational technology environment. There's a lot of manufacturing. There's a lot of production. Um, and there's a lot of IoT sensors that are involved here. And so they stated for this first phase that LTE should get the job done just by bang them. That's the case with a lot of use cases. But from my perspective, as they start looking at things like autonomous guided vehicles and autonomy in general for a lot of the more dangerous operations, that's where 5G is really going to shine from uh, not only a massive device support, because uh, one of 5G's superpowers is that it can support um, a significantly a higher number of devices in LTE, but it really comes down to the latency, that sub five millisecond latency. I think it's a great showcase. It continues to demonstrate the momentum that, that Nokia has established early. Um, in um, the, the private 5G space, but wondering if you have any comments here or if you caught the news. I don't have any comments. I did not catch the news, but I do think that there is some value in more industrial applications of private 4G. I do wonder why they went with LTE instead of yeah. 5G. Um, I don't know if you know anything about that, but Maybe it feels like maybe it's one of those things where they spec'd it out so long ago. Mm. That's just what it is. And that's how it's going to be. And maybe we'll get 5G in five, 10 years from now. Yeah, I, I don't have the context on that. I do spend a lot of time with Nike and so I do plan to follow up with that when I'm back in the States. But I would assume it's, it's possibly to your point that the planning you know, phase started quite a bit time ago. There, there may also be some challenges. And if this is CBRS Spectrum, and CBRS Spectrum is very mature with respect to LTE support, 
And just recently, CVRS is beginning to support 5G deployment use cases. So it's probably a combination uh, of all of that. I would also think if they went straight to a private 5G standalone network, that was future. But proof, what they're doing, hey, there, there may be some sort of modular progression that gets from the 5G, but yeah, we could only speculate. But let's go to your first topic. And you want to talk about Apple. And, and I, lo- I love this headline. It's, are pigs flying at, at Apple? <laughs> yeah, you could say hell froze over. You could say pigs are flying. But <laughs> basically, Apple was responding to a request from 9to5Mac who got a scoop that Apple said that later next year, they'll be adding support for RCS Universal Profile, which is the standard as currently published by the GSMA. And they believe that RCS Universal Profile will offer better interoperability experience when compared to SMS or MMS. And this will work alongside iMessage which will continue to be the best and most secure messaging experience for Apple users. But why this is likely happening is because the European Digital Markets Act is in place and companies have, I believe, until the end of this week to state, you know, what they plan to do or how they plan to adhere to it. So this is clearly how Apple plans to adhere. And yeah, I think it's a huge win for a lot of reasons. And I think the industry will be better for it much like the type C situation with the iPhone 15 series. I'm um, glad you mentioned that really Europe drove that, right? And it was fun being a lot of my friends on the last iPhone announcement. There was a lot of discussion around USB-C support. The iPad had seen that. We hadn't seen that on the iPhone until the most recent iPhone. And really that's Europe driving that. And from Apple's perspective, I think they, they enjoyed monetizing lightning and, and all the licensing that they would see from cable manufacturers and whatnot. And so, yeah, in order to, to not overly complicate what they're doing from a design perspective, they they just migrated everything to USB-C. But it's just funny because a lot of my buddies go, look at Apple's innovation. They're, they're bringing USB-C to something that Android had for years. <laughs> yeah, they wouldn't have done either of these if it weren't forced on them by the European regulators. Yeah. The European regulators have made a huge difference. And obviously Google probably feels very vindicated with their whole blue bubble, green bubble campaign. Yeah. And it's, it is genuinely an issue when my sister has run into it recently. But the good thing is that when I was speaking to Wired, I said that, you know, I really think there's an opportunity here to kill SMS and MMS, which are woefully insecure. And, and they're, they're long in the tooth. They and they're inadequate that. for so many things that like, it yeah. may actually be the end of SMS for the most part, which is good because it's just, it'll be better for everything. And having RCS compatibility across Android and iOS will be huge, I think, for a lot of reasons. And security is an added benefit, honestly. But in addition to this good news, there's also bad news in the Apple world. It looks like Apple might not actually be able to hit its its recently delayed 2025 target of delivering its own 5G modem. This was came from Mark Ehrman at Bloomberg, who is pretty much everything he says ends up being true. So I don't really question the validity of this rumor, even though it is true rumor. But what that does mean is that Apple gets less and less wiggle room in their already newly extended licensing agreement with Qualcomm. And this is funny because I don't think Intel actually had as many delays when they were supplying Apple as Apple has delays by itself. That said, 
They are using the same IP from Infineon, which is where Intel's business started from. Well, um, it's an acquisition as well. So I also think this is something I believe that Apple is also having problems because they aren't really doing enough development uh, and, and participating in the 3GPP in a way that would allow them to cross-license patents so that they would spend less time trying to create novel approaches to things that have already been solved and mm -hmm. easily be solved through patents. And I have a strong feeling they're going to end up licensing patents anyways, even though they don't want to. And yeah, I think it's going to be one of those things where it might get to the point where Apple goes, we're just going to kill it because we can't make this work. At some every point, time, you saw every time throwing good money. Yeah. Every time they delay it, it just makes it harder for them to, to keep it alive. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to talk over you. Yeah. Why throw good money after buy, right? And I know this has really got a stick in their crawl because Apple has this attitude only designed here. Right. And yeah, but it, this is difficult stuff. And I think what Apple's figuring out is that, hey, this isn't a walk in the park, but in Qualcomm's had a considerable amount of time to perfect what they're doing. And MediaTek has made great inroads as well. I know you're going to talk about MediaTek um, pretty soon here, but let, let me jump to my second topic. And I want to talk about Juniper Networks. And I've talked on prior podcasts about the city of Las Vegas and what they're doing to deploy private cellular for a number of different use cases. We talked about F1 on the last podcast where I was uh, very badly jet lagged and pretty mumbly. So I want to apologize to our viewers and listeners, not my best performance there, but, but here comes Juniper Network. They're joining the city of Las Vegas private 5G party. And Juniper does have a pretty interesting platform. They call it Cloud Metro. And what they're aiming to do is complement what, what uh, the city of Las Vegas has already been embarking on from um, city government and public schools, but also tourism as well. And um, there are two particular cloud metro routers that are going to be deployed, the 7024 and the 4300. Actually, the 4300 is a switch. And basically, this is going to form the backbone of the network. And obviously, you got backhauls, but it supplies that. But they're also going to be integrating MIST's wired assurance. So MIST is an acquisition I'm sure many people are familiar with that brought a lot of AI capabilities to, to Juniper's portfolio and really has been pretty instrumental in accelerating Juniper's footprint within, within enterprise, having traditionally been very service provider focused. These are pretty compelling solutions. I've actually spoken to you, uh, the Juniper team here, and I think much what we see with some of the Greenfield 5G deployments. There are lots of infrastructure providers that are involved. And so I think Juniper brings some unique capabilities here and also leveraging their knowledge base um, from their traditional service provider business that really up until the next acquisition, that was their sole focus and they weren't really a, a factor in the enterprise, but certainly that's changed now. But I think this is great. I know that you continue to monitor what's going on there because F1 is, is heating up, but do you have any thoughts here before we move to your second topic? I was going to ask you, what kind of network is this exactly that it's being used in? And I was going to say, today at this MediaTek event that I'm at, they actually said that MediaTek is the, the house of record. I don't know what you want to call it, but basically yeah. they're the ones manufacturing chips for Juniper Networks tapes held up a pretty big, it looked like a server chip almost with some memory dies on it. That, that was a 
purpose-built chip for Juniper. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So they're so Juniper, they leverage Merchant and they do some of their own custom silicon. My understanding is, and these routers and switches, it's leveraging some of their 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 own custom silicon. To answer your question, there it's part of a broader private five G network. And it's as I read through the news here, it's actually designed to cover what what they're doing from what they're calling the city's innovation district. Okay. And, um, yeah, I don't have a lot of additional details on what the city's innovation district is, but I'm assuming that's probably a combination of government service stuff as, as well as supporting the tourism industry, because obviously Las Vegas is a huge, you know, tourist draw. Yeah. Um, but let's move to your second topic, and uh, that's a great segue into media tech, and you want to talk about um, a red cap modem. And red cap is something that we've discussed on prior podcasts. Yeah, so this new modem is the M60. like. Qualcomm's X35, it is a reduced capacity modem built on a much different architecture to optimize for power. Uh, I will have an article out when this podcast is published on Forbes, kind of detailing the M60 and, you know, what its applications are. But truthfully, they're not any different than what we've talked about with red cap modems from Qualcomm. And I'm not really aware of any other red cap modems at this time. This is a capable of upwards of 200 megabits downlink and 100 megabits uplink, which is ample for most industrial applications or IOT or even mm-hmm. some wearable. So this is the real focus on this is delivering lower power than what was possible on 4G LTE, but also delivering higher throughput and lower latency. And I think if I remember correctly, I'm, I'm a bit balling here, but I think when I was working on my article, it was something like 70% reduction in power consumption versus the last generation of 4G LTE, IoT products. Yeah. And it was something like a 60% reduction compared to 5G. It's still considerable power con consumption reductions in both scenarios and for MediaTek commercialize this they're they're putting it inside of their t300 rssoc platform so that's similar to what they have with their other t-series products which are like a there's an application processor there's some networking um and it's basically like a complete system on a chip for this connectivity so that way when someone wants to deploy it it's going to be a very small footprint and it will actually be a lot easier to deploy. Speaking of the footprint, I think they said something like it will be a reduction of 60% on PCB space compared to 4G IoT solutions as well. So you're getting oh. power and spatial reductions, and, and that's huge for someone who's trying to build connectivity into a product that either already has it or hasn't been able to accommodate it because of the limitations of power and space. And I don't know if you've got the detail on this, but I would also assume that there's some cost takeout consideration as well, because RedCap is positioned for integration into a number of different board vectors, including clothing. Yeah. So there's absolutely going to be a case where this is a lower cost solution compared yeah. to, say, MediaTek's M80 uh, top of the line modem. Um, mm-hmm. But I would also say neither Qualcomm nor MediaTek have communicated that these modems are cheaper. And I think that's partially because 
they're more likely to be integrated more more deeply into the device uh, than some other modems might be. Sure. Um, but even so, I just think they're not really talking about price because it's probably a different business model. They're probably mm -hmm. integrating more tier tier one E's and and other integrators to get these enterprise industrial applications going. We'll see what happens, but this could end up in AR glasses. It could end up in a gateway. Yeah. There's the, the, virtually anything could potentially take advantage of a red cap modem if it doesn't mm -hmm. need a lot of throughput. Yeah, yeah. And obviously the power um, profile is the killer aspect of red cap. So cool, man. Hey, let's go to my third and final topic. And I want to talk about SK Telecom. You and I have talked about South Korean mobile network operators, how innovative they are, how they were some of the first to really lean into very innovative 5G services, and initially in consumer and then eventually in, in enterprise to really distance themselves. And in fact, um, dude, I remember you and I and Patrick, our, our, our principal and founder of More Insights and Strategy, we did a six-part series on who was leading in 5G. And, and this was like, I think in 2018, 2019. We need to refresh that, by the way. But, you know, part of it was Carrier, and, and you and I contributed to that. And we were really struck and impressed with uh, their leadership. Well, news is, is coming from SK Telecom tied to recent earnings that they are very squarely focused on leveraging AI and infusing AI into next generation 5G services. And this is no surprise, right? Um, you can't swing a dead cat and not hit, you know, a company. Let's talk about um, generative AI. Maybe that's a terrible analogy. My, my wife would probably hate me for saying that since she has a cat. But anyway, yeah, I'm, but I'm, but I'm, yeah, so it's, it's acceptable, at least this week. But what's interesting, SK Telecom, they've actually developed an internal app. It's for call center management. And obviously that's more of an enterprise service, but they, they expect to drive, I think the number I read was 9 to 10% of total sort of service revenue by 2028 with AI. And in the process, they've, they're also backing several AI startups. And there's one that they put a $100 million investment in, which is Anthropic. You might know them, but Anthropic yep. is a competitor to OpenAI, right? I know Anthropic, yep. Yeah. And so what they're hoping to do is develop specific telco large language models. And this isn't a surprise. I spent time with Dell. I run an Article. I couldn't talk a lot about the NDA stuff, but it was a, their take on AI and these large, the processing of, of models is going to occur not only in the data center and in the cloud, but it's going to, you know, eventually occur, you know, locally as well. But from a telco perspective, I think there, there, there's more to learn and there's more to leverage with AI than just making networks more reliable and predictable. I think there's some true monetization opportunities here. And Specifically, there was discussion around metaverse applications. And this is where I'd like to really get your input because you are our mixed reality expert at the firm. What do you see AI doing within, within telecom and metaverse to really drive some innovative, you know, kind of applications? So first and foremost, I think every version of AI that we know today at some point needs to call back to the cloud. The more you call back to the cloud, the more you would depend on a good connection and a fast one. And that's already an easy one for 5G. I do think that 5G or AI will be more hybrid in the sense that you'll have some things that won't run locally because that's what they can do. And 
that's efficient and that makes sense. But then there will be times where you have to go back to the cloud and send data to the cloud and then receive it back when it's done. And that's a 5G connection right there. Now on, on, the, on the metaverse side or on the XR side, I, I think we're still figuring out what's happening with how 5G connectivity affects XR. I think it's less of a factor in VR than it is with AR. The problem with yeah. AR is we're just so early on that I just don't think we're at a point of scale where 5G makes sense. Uh, I do think a 5G network with good edge compute could offload some of the compute on glasses to make them thinner and uh -huh. Um, But we're not really there. Even if they were thin yeah. and light, the optics are not there yet. So we need both edge compute and devices to get thinner and lighter. But that's how I see it. Okay. That's fair. No, it's good stuff, man. That's great. Let's move to your third and final topic. And we talked about T-Mobile earlier in F1, but this is really, I think from my perspective, a watershed moment with connected PC. And I shared something on Twitter, but I'm, I'm going to let you take it. And I, I've got some thoughts here as well. Yeah, this was something that I think has been a long time coming. I'm actually surprised that it's taken this long in the oh. year of our Lord 2023. <laughs> um, but basically, this is T-Mobile's leading the charge here, in my opinion. They are offering uh, to any user with a Snapdragon-based Surface Pro 9 5G, they can get 30 days, actually it's 90 days and 30 gigs of free service. Yeah. Um, I'm already a T-Mobile customer, so I, I'm still able to take advantage of that. But it took me like five seconds to do because I already have a T-Mobile account. You do right. have to set up an account and pay, have a set up some kind of payment. But I, I think that could be streamlined, maybe paid through the Microsoft store would be great. Just because I think, I feel complicating how things are paid for is one of the biggest problems that 5G PCs have. Yeah. But T-Mobile is leading the charge here. However, they are not alone. Verizon's an option as well, which I thought was pretty cool. I don't think they have any promotions. I haven't had time to ask my Verizon contacts, but I... Don't think. Mm -hmm. Then there's AU, who, which is the KDDI operator in Japan. And then you mm -hmm. have Bell in Canada, Swisscom, we know where they live, Telenor, which is Norway, yeah. Telia, uh, which I think is Sweden. Baltics, right? It's somewhere in Norway, I think. And then yeah. Elstro, which is Australia, Vodafone, and then Vodafone España. So that's a lot of carriers that they didn't even really announce this. This wasn't like a a big hurrah for Microsoft. They just quietly announced this and then T-Mobile made the announcement and then I accidentally stumbled upon all these other carriers. And yeah, I went and set it up, took me less than 10 minutes and it actually saved my butt earlier today because the Wi-Fi network here at the conference obviously shit the bed. And while it was shitting the bed, I ran a speed test and I got 11 milliseconds ping and 600 megabits down. So... I was hashtag winning, but yeah, like right. that was a perfect example of why we need 5G PCs because there's so many scenarios where Wi-Fi yeah. just doesn't cut it. And I'm really impressed with, with the experience that I've had so far. And yeah, like this is, I think, this is, I think prepping for next year where uh, Microsoft is going to make a really big push on AI PCs, but also there are going to be a lot more PCs with 5G connectivity, and we're probably going to see this framework that we're seeing getting built out 
getting more flushed out and deployed. Yeah. No, I think it's a watershed moment. I think to your point, there's been a lot of friction with connected PC. It's, it's difficult to provision. You've got to go through several different hoops. And yeah, I think it would be smart that with the Surface product, you know, you could just activate this through the, uh, the Microsoft online store. And because at the end of the day, you've got to remove friction to make this happen. You know, I remember many years ago, I was at Dell and I was in a business development role. And one of the things we were working on was this was in a TG world. We were integrating the mobile broadband modems on the Latitude business notebooks. And this was squarely, this was a, a business play, not consumer. Um, and what, you know, and I was managing the relationship between Dell and Telus in Canada and AT&T. And, and it's really how I, I first got exposed to cellular connectivity many years ago. And obviously at that time, we, we didn't have the sophistication that we have, you know, today with SaaS and software defined and that sort of thing. But that was one of the big challenges in the program. It was very early, uh, probably not a remarkable success, uh, but it was the genesis for what Microsoft's been pushing for years, which is around connected PC. And you know, I think the value for business travelers, road warriors, you and I, to be able to not have to worry about finding a Wi-Fi hotspot, just, it, it just, it, it improves your connectivity tremendously. And I think Patrick Moorhead, our chief analyst and founder, he's kicked the tires on connected PCs and he says the same thing because you and I travel a lot that our fearless leader, I think he's cloned himself and he's on the road all the time. And if you think about it, being able to just to open your notebook and be instantly connected to a 5G network and to be productive, that's huge. And it's almost, it's almost impossible to, to assign value to that because it's so tremendous, right? Yeah. So yeah. One thing I will add, and I find this perplexing is why AT&T is missing. Usually when something like this comes out, I find that AT&T and T-Mobile are the leaders. Yeah. Uh, and then Verizon's lagging or Verizon does it by themselves. And then T-Mobile and AT&T catch up. It's very rare to see T-Mobile and Verizon being the ones that are starting with this. So yeah. uh, very curious to see how AT&T responds to this. Yeah, no, I think, I think they'll step it out because obviously AT&T has a very mature enterprise services portfolio, but Hey, it's been another great podcast. I'm, I'm glad I was a little more coherent on this one. Petty, why don't you take us out? Absolutely. We hope our viewers and listeners found this week's topics interesting. If anyone out there would like to provide insights on a specific 5G topic for a future podcast, please reach out to us on social media. Will's at Will Tech and I'm at Anshel Sog. We hope you have a great weekend and please tune in next week. Don't forget to rate us and subscribe.